Oh my goodness. Nice to be with you, Monmouth Christian Church, this morning. Amen. So, good morning. Now, uh, I need to look and then make sure I can see all of you. I want to make sure that there is no one younger than 13 here. Good. We're good. So now I'm thankful for all the child, child care workers right now. Um, those of you who are um, uh, watching uh, a live stream or if this is recorded, uh, please... Um, this is going to be intense, so it would be a very good idea not to have your children watch uh, this message. I, I'm not in the habit of preaching a message that is uh, uh, rated, <laughs> but, um, but sometimes it, it needs to be done. So here we go. It is my fervent hope that you and, and I will think together about the violence of God, and end up admiring him for it and the other attributes of his character. All right? So let's just start out with the violence of God at Jericho, the first section. Now, <laughs> it's going to be heavy. You may be already saying to yourself, uh, Joe, Actually, I'm a little embarrassed about the violence of God <laughs> anywhere in the Old Testament, just to tell you the truth. And then I would, I would answer you. I would say, yeah, I get it. I hear you. I understand. In fact, that's why we're going over it. <laughs> the violence of God in Jericho. You know, we tend to, you know, as... You know, we churches, we Christians, sometimes we, we, we tend to glide over the violence of God in, a, in maybe a superficial way. When I w was growing up in the church, uh, you know, as a young child, I sang this song. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Woo, Jericho. Woo. Jericho, oh, 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 Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, and the walls came a-tumbling down. <laughs> oh, I still got it. <laughs> but, what, but what we didn't think about as, as kids, and it's probably a good idea, is that those tumbling walls pulled out beams that supported roofs of homes that fell in upon little Canaanite children. Any children spared from the collapse were run through with the sword, wielded by someone, and this is the reason for the restriction, <laughs> wielded by someone worshiping the Lord. Now, I'm not making this up. Joshua... Chapter 6, this is in the Bible, verse 21, reads, They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkey. 
Imagine such violence for just five seconds, just five seconds, against just one donkey. Not pretty. And that was just against the donkey. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, each one of you, and, and yeah, you can have a choice. Inside yourself, you can answer the question. It's a yes or no question, either yes or no. You can answer that question, and, and there are some of you who don't mind uh, making your mind known aloud. So some of you can even answer the question aloud. And if that's you, go ahead and, and raise your hand, and I'll ask you, you know, yes or no. And then I might even ask you to give a, uh, a brief rationale for your answer. So are you ready? We're, we're thinking together. Here we go. And here's the question. This is the reason why I didn't want children <laughs> in. If God told you to kill innocent little children, would you do so? Anybody over here want to say anything out loud? <laughs> okay, you're, he is, nope, she's not going to do it. So thank you. Anybody here? Oh, by the way, I forgot to say, I forgot to say, we're a family here, and so there will be some no's, and there'll be some yeses, and that's okay. Because we're thinking together. <laughs> we're just, we're trying to learn. We're trying to, to figure out God together. I, an indication. Okay. Saying no. Thank you. And you're saying no too. All right. Are there any yeses? Yes. No. I mean, yeah, I, I, it was kind of confusing. <laughs> Are there any yeses? No. Which means, <laughs> yeah, so you're, you're saying no. All right. Okay, you're saying yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we have, we, we have a yes, and we have some no's, and now I, I just go ask, I'll ask some, some rationale. Does, does anyone want to give a rationale if you're a no? You know, why? Oh, go ahead. Yeah, okay, so, so yeah, so th there's some of you who just, man, I just don't want to answer this. <laughs> I'm going to be torn. I want to trust God, but then this is really bad. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. So anybody here want to give a rationale for no, for the, your no answer? Sure. Okay. 
Yeah, so you're being reminded of Abraham and Isaac. And then he mentioned, I don't know if you were able to hear, but he, he mentioned it, it kind of feels like God in the Old Testament is different than God in the New Testament. You know, he's kind of, he's feeling that. Okay, thank you. Thank you for your, your answer. Okay, uh, we had a yes. Uh, Rich? Um, I appreciate your, just, I, I don't mean to interrupt you, but did you hear, uh, Rich wants to make sure, is this really God? <laughs> Very good thing to do, you know, so we can love our brother, you know, <laughs> our yes brother here. <laughs> yeah, really. Has to be really clear. Okay, so, but go ahead, go ahead and finish. God gives a command, he expects obedience. And while we might not see the reason why, does not mean that God does not see the reason why. So if God has a and he's revealed that purpose. Oftentimes, it's beyond our ability to understand why. Mm -hmm. But we are called to be obedient. So, clear word from God. Okay, thank you. Thank you, Rich. Oh, yes. here and and uh, so thank you thank you one thank you all for your contribution and for your thinking with me that was kind of hard <laughs> yeah a little intense well let me ask you an easy question okay I mean why should I ask all hard questions let me give let's let's do an easy one gingerbread house Okay, my wife Carol, she, uh, when she was growing up with her family, she would, every Christmas she would make gingerbread houses. And so if, if Carol made a gingerbread house and, and she decided after she made it to, to eat it, does she have the right to do that? I'm hearing, mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, she has the right. So, okay, what if she's decided that she didn't want to eat it, but she wanted to to put it in her room as a, as a decoration because she did such a good job with the gumdrops and everything. And, and she wants to just look at it for, you know, all the rest of December until New Year's Eve. Does she have the right to do that? I'm saying, yeah, yep, 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 yep. My Carol. Well, at that time, she wasn't my Carol, but she was kind of sweet on me. <laughs> She's still kind of sweet on me. <laughs> well, yeah, back then, th this is back before we said our I do's and we love and honor and cherish each other for the rest of our lives. She made a gingerbread house and she gave it to me. Now, uh, do I have the right to eat my gingerbread house? Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have the right to eat, eat my gingerbread house. And now, now, here's what I actually did. Uh, Carol, it was such a pretty house, and I, I decided to keep it. 
and, and, and just put it in my room for a decoration. I always remember, because I was kind of sweet on her too. So I, I, would, I would just remember her when I looked at the gingerbread house. And so I did that. Then I went to college. I came back from college on break, and there were a lot of gun drops missing from the roof of my gingerbread house. And, and the structure of, of the house was compromised, part of the roof, some of the walls. Someone in my family, without my permission, had been eating on my gingerbread house. Okay. Now, do, did they have the right to do that? Yeah, everybody says no. Did, did, do I have a right to be upset with my family member? Everybody says yes. So, we're talking about the principle of ownership here. Do you realize all of these easy questions in which we all agree with each other is the same question as the hard one? We're talking about ownership here. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9, verse 20 and 21 says, and I have to go to the side to read it because I don't have it written in my manuscript. It says, stay out of your way. Who do you think you are to talk to God? Does the clay say to the potter, why did you make me like this? Doesn't the potter have the right to make a fancy bowl and a plain bowl out of the same lump of clay? And the expected answer is, yes, of course. Our culture, the way we think right now, it's as if we've made up human rights and we actually expect God to be submitted to those human rights that we made up. So I want to be very careful as I close the first section, and I'll read it to you. So the violence of God at Jericho is the right of a creator whose righteousness and wisdom far exceed our own and whose power may yet overwhelm those Canaanite kids with joy with him forever at the resurrection. Some food for thought. Let's go to the next section. The violence of God at Golgotha. Golgotha. The place of the skull is where Jesus was killed, nailed to a cross. And that crucifixion, my brothers and sisters, was God's will. Now, you probably agree with me that crucifixions are violent. <laughs> it was God's will. Nails in hands. Nails, nail in feet. Pulling up on the nails, pushing up on the nails in order 
to breathe each breath. That is torture. Now I have another question for those of you who care to speak your mind, and thank you for all of you who did. And the question is, to what purpose would God require the agony and death of his innocent son? Anyone here want to answer that question? How about this section over here? To what purpose would God require the agony and death of his innocent son? Yeah. Uh, I, not, maybe not everyone heard. He said, and here we go. He's helping me preach the gospel here. <laughs> Thank you, Dale. So that we can be reconciled to God. That's the purpose of the violent death of God's innocent son. Does any? Oh, thank you. Yeah. For you, she said, it's a very public death. People witnessed it, saw him die, and there was no argument about it. So it was important that it was public. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Thanks. So he suffered innumerable, innumerable notes so that he would be able to say that he knew what was suffering, that there's nothing that he had to suffer. His his suffering was great. And as a human, he can identify with, with us and our suffering in that. Thank you. Thank you. Man, you guys are preaching the gospel. <laughs> well, um, sometimes when you're preaching the gospel, when you're explaining the death to someone, the death of Jesus, to someone who, who hasn't been introduced? Sometimes people have this question. Sometimes people ask, why, why doesn't God just forgive us without a sacrifice? Why doesn't God just forgive us the way we forgive other people who sin against us? The proper answer to that question has to do with damage. Let's say a little brat is playing croquet in my yard. <laughs> and he decided that it would be fun to throw a ball through every window in my house. 
Even if that naughty little gremlin learned that throwing croquet balls through, <laughs> through windows is not really that much fun after all, even if he came to understand the true nature of his violation and was genuinely sorry for what he did, even if I forgave him and he became a, a well-behaved boy, <laughs> there would still be a problem with the windows. Rain, cold winds, bats would then generate still other problems for my house until my house would become not the home it was intended to be. The windows must be replaced. In a similar way, Sin also causes spiritual damage. Now, don't get tripped up just because I said spiritual, because sometimes we think of spiritual things as not real. <laughs> but sin causes spiritual damage, it, and, and that damage is real. When we forgive someone, we do not repair the damage. We simply release ourselves from hate so that God can make the reparations. So, the crucifixion of Jesus at Golgotha, Jesus, the Word of God, having become a human being, His death there repairs the spiritual damage of our sins. One may say with great understatement, <laughs> that it was a hassle, Golgotha. Like I said before, it's torture. But at the same time, because it was such a hassle, torture, we can see in it the extent of God's love for us at exactly the same time. God's Violent wrath is but one aspect of his glory, or another way to say glory is character in this. It's one aspect of his character, but it's not the whole of his character. Okay? It, makes, it only makes sense when we think of it in relation to the other aspects of his character. Another way to say the other aspects of his character, God's character as a whole, the Apostle Paul calls it the riches of God's glory. The full range of his nature. Okay. When we think of God's wrath and his violence, we need to connect it with his whole character. And so we're going to do that in Romans chapter 9, verse 22 and 23. Now the first thing you know, you need to know when you look at verse 22 and 23, oh, you have it right here, oh, good, <laughs> is the verse just before it, remember when we were talking about the potter and the pots, you know, the, 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 the fancy bowl and the plain bowl? That's the verse just before this. And so what, what happens with, with potters? Okay, potters, 
they're pretty happy with the pots that they make because the pots always stay the same. <laughs> they can't do anything. They don't talk back. They're just pots. So the fancy bowl goes into the living room. You put flowers in it. It's wonderful. The plain bowl, you, you, you make a salad, and, you, and it becomes a salad bowl, and you feed your guests, and you're happy. So a potter's always happy with his pots. God is kind of like a potter in that he makes things, but kind of not like a potter in that he's not always happy with how it turned out. <laughs> and what happens? Why is God not always happy? Well, imagine a potter making a bowl and, and the bowl can talk back, okay? <laughs> the bowl can change itself. And so, uh, imagine uh, uh, an angry bowl, like a vessel of wrath. <laughs> so the bowl might say something like, salad, 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 I'm sick of salad, tomatoes, carrots, lettuce, ugh, I hate lettuce. And uh, the salad dressing gets all on my sides and it's slippery and yucky and I hate it. I am not going to carry another salad for you. That is it. I am over, finished with salads. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to remove my bottom and you will never get another salad out of me. <laughs> now that is a vessel of wrath. Potters never experience this. God does. That's what we do. We, we sin. And we change ourselves in a way that he didn't intend. And it doesn't serve. It's just not good. It doesn't reflect his glory. It falls short of his glory, in fact. So, let me read this. So, but if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, nope, I gotta stop right there. Does God seem like he's kind of embarrassed about his wrath and power here? Look at that word, desiring. He desires to show his wrath. He's not embarrassed about it. It's an aspect of his nature that is, that is good and right. I'm standing in front of your scripture, aren't I? <laughs> so, so let me go on. But if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience the vessels of wrath, who made themselves fit for destruction... He did so then in order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy whom he prepared beforehand for glory. Now let me back up just a little bit there. The aspects of God's character, what do we have? He, he desires, and when we look at this verse, he, he has wrath, he has power, he is patient, and he has mercy. He's able to prepare things. And that's not even the full range of his character. It's not the, and there are more. There's the riches of God's glory. But here are some. And the wrath seems a long ways from mercy. <laughs> but it's all in God. And he puts it together in the, in the right 
way. Let me share what I mean by the right way. If God decided to make known his, his wrath and power right away, let's say he wasn't patient. Every time we sinned, well, there would only be one time that it happened. But anyway, once a person sins, if God, boom, destroyed him with lightning so that I would be nothing but a, you know, a greasy spot down on the stage here, a little bit of smoke rising up. If he did that for every person who sinned, we would get to see his wrath. We would get to see, get to know his, his power. But who would be left to see his mercy? The full range of his glory would not be made known. And so he has patience. That's part of his glory too. He has patience with the vessels of wrath because he wants to show the mercy part of his glory, part of his character. And you know what? He showed it all. He prepared, it says here, vessels of mercy for glory. You know who those vessels of mercy are? The vessels of wrath. <laughs> they prepared themselves for destruction. He prepared the vessels of wrath. He repaired the vessels of wrath for glory. He can do that. He is God. He loves doing that. That's how he shows his mercy. Oh, we're so glad that he wants to show the riches and not just one aspect of his character. Wow. So, we're ending this section, and here it is. I want to say it carefully again. So the violence of God at Golgotha is where both the wrath and mercy of God meld into a beautiful display of holy love. Okay, this has been intense, and all of you are glad that we don't have any children here. <laughs> now for the final section. The violence of God after judgment. In other words, we're going to be talking about hell. And it's not nice to talk about hell these days. Some people actually think that hell is immoral. Some people will say... A loving God cannot send people to hell. I must admit, though, that, you know, I want to be sympathetic. I don't want to be looked upon as some sort of torturer, sadist person. And so there's something in that idea that attracts me. Oh, yeah, love is really nice, and, and he can't send people to hell. So, yeah, I get that. I get that feeling until, until I look at Jesus, our Lord. Who is more loving than him? And yet, when he teaches us, fairly often he talks about hell. 
So, I, so the way I think, as, you know, as we're thinking together, I'll just share you my, my idea. If the Son of God who loved me, who died for my sins, who conquered death, if he thinks that, that hell is not a moral uh, obscenity, if he, if he doesn't have a moral problem with hell, I'm with him. <laughs> I am with him forever. I agree with Jesus. Now, you probably already know this because Pastor Sean already taught us this, but just in case you weren't there, when Jesus talks about hell, you know, the English word hell isn't actually the word. I don't even quite know, uh, you know, how, how we uh, get the word hell uh, in, in English. But the, the word that Jesus is saying when he, when that's translated hell often is literally, quite literally, the valley of Hinnom. It, it's a valley uh, near Jerusalem, the valley of, of Hinnom. When he's saying hell, that's, that's, that's what it is. And... Um, it's just outside of Jerusalem. In ancient times, the Jews used to, I mean, really ancient times, they used to sacrifice their babies to a god named Moloch. And so, uh, later on, the Jews stopped doing that, but that valley became, became a cursed place. And so the Jews began uh, dumping their trash in that valley. All the trash from Jerusalem, you know, just goes there. And so because that valley was like that, they would set fire to it. And so there's always, there's just fire in the trash all the time. All the time in that valley. And so, it, so when Jesus says, you are in danger of hellfire, he literally is saying, you are in danger of the valley of Gehenna, or valley of Hinnom. That's what he's saying. It's a metaphor. And... And the metaphor means Jesus is saying you are in danger of becoming garbage. To be thrown away in the valley of Hinnom. And why did he say that? You remember Sean's sermon? You know, when, when someone denigrates someone and, and thinks that they're worthless and calls them a name that means they're worthless, that's when Jesus said you're in danger of Hinnom. Think about that <clears throat> with uh, those uh, cyber bullies. <laughs> Jesus thinks that's real serious. Now, most of, it, it's hard to teach this because most of us don't really handle garbage that much. I mean, really, you, you have garbage, but you don't handle garbage the way garbage really is. You don't know garbage because we have, we have these, little, these little garbage cans that you put under the sink not very tall. You line it with the plastic garbage liner. And then when it fills up, you lift it up, and then you kind of twist it. At least that's what I do. I twist it. When it's done spinning, I grab it. And then I tie it in order to seal in the, the, the odor that might be there. Okay. And then what do I do? I take uh, the garbage liner, and I put it in a bigger container that is also lined in my garage or just outside my garage. And there's a lid on it. Okay? And then 
a, a garbage truck comes, some sort of robotic arm takes the big thing and puts it in the payload and it goes off to the dump or the landfill and then you see it never again. We don't really deal with garbage. I deal with garbage. Oh, well, I used to. I had a job. I was working for a national study of solid waste. Uh, uh, and in that study, in my job, I had to, when those, when, when your garbage came to the landfill, <laughs> I had to empty those, those, those black bags, <laughs> plastic bags, and separated the contents of those bags into 22 different categories. Non-ferrous metals, ferrous metals, soft plastics, hard plastics, newsprint, foodstuffs, etc. Sometimes the etc. was a decaying cat. Uh, yeah, and all God's people said, "Ew." <laughs> okay. In the last service, someone said, "Amen," and uh, I deduced from that that they didn't like cats. <laughs> um. So, so that was my job, and. Uh, that job was made worse whenever lunchtime came because <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sitting there eating lunch, garbage truck comes in, it rolls in, the, the end of the garbage truck you know, with its hydraulic lift will, will lift the end of the truck, kind of like a cow lifting its tail. And then, and then the, the garbage that's inside the payload would excrete out of the truck and then, and then you know, fall on the ground while I'm eating my tuna fish sandwich. See, you don't know garbage. We moderns have to understand that the Valley of Hinnom was disgusting. Yucky. It was... Eh. That's the feeling that people had when Jesus taught that you're in danger of the Valley of Hinnom. Jesus used the Hinnom Valley as a metaphor to explain the destiny of those who insist upon having their sin, the spiritual garbage that they cherish. Sin must not remain strewn across humanity's living room. A loving Heavenly Father teaches His children to throw the garbage away. Sadly, too many people think of their garbage as my, my precious. <laughs> they embrace it. And if they don't let go of the garbage. Jesus teaches that they are in danger of becoming garbage. And as such, they will be thrown away. The good news, and I want to read this carefully, the good news is that hell is the burning violence of a loving God 
upon spiritual garbage forever. And as followers of Jesus, we are made clean. Letting go of the garbage. And as clean followers of Jesus, we get to enjoy our Heavenly Father. And He gets to enjoy us. Thank you for preaching. That's reconciliation. <laughs> That's the good news. So when you hear about the wrath of God, it's good. <laughs> It has its purpose. But keep it in connection with the other aspects of God's glory. I hope you are now admiring God right now, even for his violence, which is always in cohesion with his wisdom, his power, and his mercy. Got to keep it together. But maybe there are some of you who are saying, because I, I don't imagine that you're completely convinced, because we're all thinking here. Maybe you're saying, not so fast, Joe. I've got questions. <laughs> well, excellent. Good. We could continue thinking, even though we're not here. We could continue thinking together. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask... Uh, if you are here and you have been a follower of Jesus for a while and you're familiar with the Bible, okay, and if you are willing to discuss someone's questions about the violence of God with someone who wants to know from our body, I want to ask you to just stand up. Now, uh, I have to say, don't worry, you know, when you stand, just if you are a mature Christian and you know the Bible, uh, something, standing up isn't saying that, yeah, I'm really proud, I'm really good, I'm better than all that. that that's not what that means. So, But just, if you're willing to discuss this, the violence of God with people who have questions about it, go ahead and stand up. Okay, now for those of you who may have questions, I want you to look at these uh, people. Okay? And then, after the meeting is over, I want to ask you to, to go up to them during the thing and, and make an arrangement to study the Bible with them in answer to your questions. What does Jesus say about the violence. Okay? That's the way the family rolls.